Friday to everybody. Welcome to Mining Stock Daily. This is the in-depth interview portion of the week as we do every Friday. Hope everybody had a lovely week and looking forward to the weekend. As I mentioned uh, yesterday in the show, we have a very special guest. Um, I was able to connect with a gentleman by the name of Samson Lee. For those of you on Twitter, you may follow Samson. Uh, but he is based out of Hong Kong. And so obviously, Samson and I chat not only about junior mining and investing uh, and his experience and um, uh, background in junior mining, but also what's going on with the coronavirus from somebody on the ground there in China. So we talk a lot about that and also the phase one and how it all kind of correlates into mining and resource investing. So it was a really fantastic conversation. Um, you know, I'm really happy Samson and I could uh, connect. We actually tried to connect about a month ago uh, before the virus and um, uh, outbreak. So I guess the timing just made uh, this even better. Uh, so I do want to give a special thanks to our sponsors this week. Uh, that's Corvus Gold, Integra Resources, Western Copper and Gold, and Pacific Empire Minerals. Thank you so much for your continued support of Mining Stock Daily. We also have a round of uh, other corporate sponsors as well. You can see a full list of those companies on the website, miningstockdaily.com. And if you haven't done so, please go visit the Junior Mining Network newsroom where you can find uh, the daily distribution of the show as well. Uh, big thanks to Junior Mining Network for the partnership. And just a reminder, next week, uh, because it's a holiday in the U.S. and in Canada, I believe, it is a short week, so we will not have a show on Monday. We will reconvene on Tuesday. So without further ado, I'm going to air my conversation with Samson. Uh, I do hope you spent some time and uh, listened to the full conversation. It is rather lengthy, about 35 minutes in total, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, but there was a lot to cover. I had a lot of questions, and um, it was just a really, really uh, eye-opening conversation. So uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Have yourself a wonderful day, a lovely weekend, and we'll talk to you again on Tuesday. And welcome back to Mining Stock Daily. This is Trevor Hall, and I have a very timely interview uh, with somebody. If you are on Twitter, you probably have seen uh, some of his posts. His name is Samson Lee. He is a Chinese national right now uh, working from home for the last week based in Hong Kong. Uh, so obviously, we, Samson and I have a lot to discuss uh, social and geopolitically. Uh, but also, Samson is uh, one of the key figureheads uh, in China that deals a lot with the junior exploration market and global junior exploration market. He does have some uh, background uh, studying and working in Toronto. Uh, so I will let him kind of describe his background. But Samson, it's good to connect with you uh, finally. And I hope you are safe and well. And uh, how, how are you? First of all, how are you doing? Uh, I'm fine at the moment. Um, like, uh, currently I caught a flu, which is, which can be quite scary. Right. Um, but fortunately, fortunately, uh, I think I'm recovering quickly. So, um, but these days, you know, like everyone try to stay indoors. So that's why I've been working at home, uh, try to cut down my time spending outdoors because um, I think um, the situation in Hong Kong is relatively uh, peaceful and good, but not quite 
so in other in some of the Chinese cities. All right. Well, Samson, uh, we're, we're, we are going to talk a little bit of coronavirus, and um, I do want to ask you about the phase one trade deal and kind of what this means for commodities. Uh, but first, uh, can you please uh, give our listeners a little bit of a background uh, into your um, into your profession and how you found yourself into junior mining? Sure. Like, um, I have been, like, I was studying in Canada for nine years. Uh, I was a Bachelor of Commerce uh, from U of T. Uh, so definitely, uh, I have a, a heavy background uh, in Canada, and I have been following tabs on the Canadian financial industry. Even I got back to Hong Kong after graduation. Um, but before that, uh, during my school days, I start um, lo- uh, looking at uh, investing in equities uh, with my own money, uh, mostly in Hong Kong listing companies at that time. And uh, one of my first picking stock picking is uh, Petro China. Uh, I bought shares of Petro China even before Warren Buffett. Uh, bought into the stock. So like uh, I had to actually wait for a few years before the stock price skyrocketed to the moon. Um, But I did fairly well in this eventually. And I realized that um, investing in commodities related equities could actually make lots and lots of money as long as uh, one can catch the cycle for good. so that's why I start um, studying commodities-related equities at first, but I eventually found that um, I was too stupid to have a true understanding in the oil and gas industry. Uh, but at the same time, to me, I found that mining is more simple and straightforward. And at the same time, um, I also subscribed to several newsletters. Uh, at that time, focusing on the natural resource sector. This is where I built up my knowledge in the industry. And then eventually, um, like uh, back to 2009, after the global financial crisis, I actually had an opportunity to uh, work uh, in a fund, uh, helping to uh, trade uh, on the uh, equities market on a global perspective for the fund because actually my boss was uh, very bullish on equities market right after the uh, GFC. So this is how I began my investment uh, career, uh, particularly in the natural resource industry. Oh, it's Uh, it's interesting that you said that you found investing in junior mining was easier for you than investing in oil and gas. And I do not invest in oil and gas, but I've always considered that to be opposite. I've always found oil and gas to be easier than mining. Well, I think um, in a sense, it is probably easier to invest in oil and gas because um, I think it's easier and much quicker to generate cash flow uh, for the oil and gas industry. But for me, like... um, I don't have the mindset to analyze whether, for example, like the drill hole of an oil well, whether it's good or bad. I don't have that knowledge to understand that at the moment. Uh, like I tried to subscribe another newsletter in the past that was focusing on the oil and gas industry. Um, 
and I did try to learn, but I, I just didn't understand it eventually. So I kind of given up and tried to focus on uh, on the mining industry, like because mining industry is quite, to me, it's quite straightforward to understand the drill hole, whether to comment, whether a drill hole is good or bad, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, uh, the width, and the grade and also have to consider for example the depth uh, of the mineralization and the geopolitical so like to me i think it's much more easier straightforward uh, for me to analyze uh the mining industry compared to oil and gas okay and so you were telling me uh before we uh, started recording you were telling me how you were working for was it an investor firm or investment bank that you were able to convince them that junior mining there was a there was a big uh, uh, you know there's there was a big possibility of, of extra value playing the sector and so you were actually able to convince them to start investing some of their money and it, can you walk us through uh, what that first big uh, I guess you could say it was a it was a pitch and sell for you and what turned out? Uh, yes, because to be honest, um, commodities has never been a big thing in the Hong Kong financial industry like uh, like most of the expertise in Asia uh, who are very knowledgeable in commodities are mostly either in Singapore or in mainland China like uh, for, for the Hong Kong financial industry most of them only are interested in like uh, property retail technology financial industry like they're not many expertise who truly understand commodities. So like it was not easy um, to convince my boss uh, initially um, to cut out a portion of the fund for me to handle on the commodity side. Um, but and then I tried to like I offer him figures like uh, the what is the uh, impacts on the quantitative easing uh, on the depreciation of the purchasing power so that's why like we have to uh, buy more gold and silver um, and other related equities okay. like at that time yeah and at that time um, not only juniors like other than juniors I also invest in some uh, relatively big producers and as well as ETF uh, gold and silver ETFs um, so like kind of initially I have a larger portion of cash in my porch in my commodities portion but eventually I slowly shifting from cash to ETFs as kind of a cash buffer mm -hmm. because in general like the price fluctuation of metals is still lower than the mining equities so you're not uh, full in invested as uh, quite a number of other people are here in North America? Well, because it's a fun, like, sure. um, yeah, because it's a fun. Uh, so like, uh, we also have to emphasize on risk management as well as diversification. So for the portion that I was responsible for, it's all commodities, uh, but like it is well, divide amount like producers, uh, junior explorers, as well as ETFs, mainly these three segments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Uh, and, and what are you looking at now? I mean, what's really kind of got your attention right now as we speak? Is it more precious metals? Are you starting to see an eye in copper and other base metals? Or, you know, wh- where's your attention focused right now? Still gold, um, because I think um, gold is still quite cheap right now. And, um, and the gold price, I think, in the next maybe two to three years, it will be poised to... Uh, hit a new historical high, uh, probably above $2,000 per ounce uh, due to various reasons, uh, mostly because um, of the macro side. Um, for example, like the Fed, um, they have been start um, repurchasing short-term bonds since last September, which is technically QE4, despite PAL saying like it's not. Mm-hmm. But actually, like technically, it is, and um, just like what Sprott Investment has said, like the Fed has now been uh, increasing their balance sheet, like by an average of um, 110 billion U.S. dollars per month, which is far above uh, the monthly increase of 85 billion U.S. per month during the QE3 time. So like um, the Fed has been uh, printing, like injecting more liquidity in the economy right now. And another worrying sign is the yield curve has been uh, like a little bit invert again, like for the U.S. bond market. Uh, Right now, I think um, the U.S. two-year bond, the yield of the U.S. two-year bond is actually lower than one-year bond. And the yield for 10-year and three-month bond is like mostly at par. So I think this is a very troubling sign in the long run. What about on the Chinese econ- uh, economy side of things? Are, are you seeing similarities in China economically now that uh, were also prevalent on the lead up to the global recession of 08 and 09? Um. To be honest, um, I think most prediction right now is still based on guesstimates because uh, how the uh, coronavirus will play out eventually is still an unknown. And um, I think the financial industry, the Chinese financial industry right now is probably still more towards the optimistic side, which to me is a little bit overly optimistic. Um, as the majority of the group believes the situation should be able to be well contained by by late March or April. Um, but I'm not too sure at the moment. Um, but so far, um, the Chinese appetite has been mostly on the focusing on the electric vehicle uh, materials, uh, which are mostly copper, lithium, uh, cobalt and nickel. Is there? Some, do you see the similarities with the uh, Chinese government uh, flushing cash into the Chinese market this week, in very similar fashion to what Powell and the Fed was doing with the repo market over the last six months? Well, I think it's different, honestly, because um, in the last few last two weeks or so, um, the Chinese economy. Is stalled like there are like the economic activities is like close to zero because 
um, the Chinese government has been encouraging people just to stay indoors. So um, the economy and the cinemas and many restaurants have been closed down. So like the economic activities have been like dropped to almost zero. And actually in the last few days, while people start getting back to the major cities, uh, preparing to start uh, getting back to work, um, looking at some data, I think um, the people, the people traveling back to the major cities this this year so far, compared to the normal uh, season right after the Chinese New Year finished, and people uh, were getting back to the major cities, were like eighty percent down. Mm. So like there are still many people still staying in the countryside. Uh, because maybe either they are still too scared getting outdoors or the companies they work for in the major cities told them to stay back in the countryside because the business, like even if they come back, um, the business activities are still, like the companies are still not properly still shutting down or still closing down okay. at, the, at this moment. So like many Chinese companies right now are in desperate situation and the Chinese government must take actions, otherwise the local economy will be in big trouble. Well, and the global e economic ramifications of, of all this may not be realized for maybe another couple of months, do you think that? It really depends if there will be an outbreak uh, in the overseas market. Um, well, initially, because um, some Chinese experts uh, speculate that this uh, coronavirus is is scared of hot weather. However, lately, um, more and more experts began to change their perception on this virus because we are seeing that it is starting to spread in Thailand and Singapore, which is having a hot weather right now already. So um, I think some Chinese experts are getting less optimistic right now, but um, as the Chinese economy has been taking a big hit right now, I think their choice is fairly limited. And um, I still think um, the business will be start operational, uh, maybe um, starting the mid-February till the end of February. Okay. Well, let's uh, swing back into mining and specifically Chinese mining. Uh, I know uh, Chinese has a big appetite right now for copper and gold. Uh, we've obviously seen uh, a company like Zhijin come into the Timok Magmatic Complex and uh, really start to move that project forward. Uh, we saw a big uh, acquisition in Colombia, uh, I think it was last month. Uh, do you see this appetite for these metals slowing down as the uh, country continues to be having to take action with the coronavirus? Or do you still think that the appetite for these metals are, are, are still uh, large uh, for demand? Um, I think before the coronavirus, um, the Chinese companies are always need to make overseas acquisitions. Um, part of the reason is... Um, it is, people are finding it's getting more challenging um, to work mining in China right now, the, uh, or in the last few years. 
uh, A, because um, the Chinese government have been upscaling the environmental standard uh, in the last few years. For example, like uh, some areas aren't even allowed to use cyanide uh, because it's uh, pretty damaging to the environment. So it's making, uh, getting the uh, environmental permit and the mining permit more challenging these years. And there are also areas being classified as environmental protection zone. So if you have a mine in the zone or even near the zone, those mines have to close down uh, immediately. So um, many small mines have been shut down uh, in the last few years. B, um, there have been kind of a policy guidance that mining companies, they are supposed to pay tax to the government based on resource size. Uh, so like um, if, the, if the companies don't pay for the resource, they won't get the mining permits. Uh, while this policy has not been fully implemented through the country, it does add some more hesitation for the local people whether they should continue to do mining uh, mining activities in the country. So these, all uh, the environmental and the tax issues uh, have been triggering uh, local companies trying to look for opportunities overseas. Of course, what is happening in China right now has been set everything back. Uh, so uh, everything has been um, un unstalled. And, um, but I believe that once this has passed, um, the Chinese companies will be eager looking at opportunities overseas again. Okay. I do want to ask you about copper because the last time in, this, in the cyclicality of the metal we saw copper really move upwards was based on that foundation of the growth of China uh, and the construction yes. of China. And right now, I mean, copper is just really in the tank, traded at about $2, and I don't know what it was today, 50 or $0.60. Cents. Um, yeah. Is, is, is growth in China slowing down? And coronavirus, you know, without, without stating the obvious with the coronavirus, is growth yeah. in China slowing down? And should copper bulls be do you feel need to be a little bit hesitant to putting all of their momentum back behind the red metal as they once did before? Um, I, well, initially, um, I think many people have been quite bullish on copper this year, uh, anticipating the U.S. and China will reach a phase two trade deal before the U.S. Uh, presidential election later this year. So, um, however, uh, like I mentioned before, I think the wild card is the coronavirus. How it will be contained or whether it will become a widespread issue uh, globally. So in a perfect world, if uh, it won't be spread outside of China in a vital way and assuming uh, the virus can be contained uh, and start to and economic activity start to recover say in April and May um, then I think while the first half of China's GDP will take a big hit uh, we can still have a 
a good anticipation on the copper price in the second half of this year, especially uh, if the copper price has been squeezing hard in the first half, especially in the first quarter this year, uh, we can all expect there will be a huge bounce back uh, in the second half. Um, so I think in the first half this year, I think investors maybe should, should be more prudent uh, on the copper price. Uh, with the anticipation that there could be a more significant rebound in the price in the second half. And I'm glad you did mention the trade deal. Uh, obviously, we saw phase one uh, signed uh, weeks ago, and, and Copper did get a nice bump after the, the signing of that. Um, it, I'm just kind of curious, on your end, uh, in, in China, in working with commodities, wh- was there significance of phase one on, on that side of the pendulum? And what would you like to see in phase two that would really be bullish for all of the junior mining sector? Uh, well, I think, to be honest, I think um, the phase one is has a more a bigger psychological impact rather than a, a physical or uh, an impact in a real meaningful way. Um, because for the phase one, I think it's, mostly telling people that um, both sides have true intentions. They don't want uh, the trade negotiations uh, to give other like uh, worse or bad signals uh, to the global market. Like, guys, we won't, we will start negotiate uh, phase two. Uh, we, like both sides, we won't impose further tariffs against each other, so no need to panic. And this is also why Trump, President Trump is so eager uh, to start phase two negotiation immediately right after phase one, because phase one is doesn't really have a meaningful physical impact in reality. Um, so in the phase two, I think um, one of the criteria uh, to reach phase two, I think, is the exchange rate of the yuan, Chinese renminbi. Um, I think from the U.S. perspective, they watch the yuan um, to appreciate uh, against the dollar. Um, by how much, I'm not sure, but I'm sure um, for the Chinese, they pretty much uh, learn what had happened to Japan. Uh, many years ago, so I think um, they will be very careful uh, to make sure that um, the currency of the yuan uh, won't be uh, overly appreciated against uh, the dollar and other currencies. So, uh, yeah. Well, I did want to, I, I, I only have a few more minutes, Samson, but I do want to come at you with one more question about sure. mergers and acquisitions, specifically on the Chinese company side. Uh, I mean, we mentioned it before, we, we've seen Zizhen move into uh, Serbia and Colombia. Um, you know, it's it sounds like Chinese companies are working in other areas of the globe to see where, where other mergers and acquisitions might happen. Uh, obviously, the coronavirus has maybe put a stall or a halt on a lot of those things that could be for the time being. But do you think after the coronavirus ordeal has settled, 
that Chinese companies will come back with a fervor of of more acquisition throughout the globe? Uh, I think so. Um, and obviously, different Chinese mining companies have different philosophies. For example, Zijin, um, they are pretty obvious that um, they will they want to acquire sizable gold and copper assets uh, locating in some emerging countries um, because they think um, this is where they can uh, apply their Chinese expertise in these countries, emerging countries. Um, however, I also know that um, other some bigger uh, Chinese mining companies, they are working in Canada right now. Um, for example, like uh, Shandong Gold, um, I think they have opened an office in Canada last year. And um, while traditionally, I think uh, many Chinese companies, they are looking for big, sizable and producing assets because they pay a hefty uh, emphasis on cash flow. I think some have been starting to um, investigating about the possibility of uh, being a shareholder or stakeholder of some junior mining companies. Hmm. For example, I know that um, a large Chinese uh, mining company has consulted some of my opinions about the possibility of um, being a stakeholder of several uh, junior companies working in Canada, particularly in British Columbia. Hmm. So the interest is definitely here. Um, but as you said, um, I think what is happening right now in China is delaying all these business activities right now. Sure. Do you, do you feel like that would be more interest in like a major shareholder position, say, you know, just under the 20% share ownership type of position? Uh, I think it will be a step by step, maybe initially, maybe initially, like maybe being on 9%. And then if they see something that they like, and then they will increase their stake through the private participating in the private placement. Hmm. Well, that makes sense, because Vancouver definitely has a very large Chinese population there. And with the uh, with the shipping, the sea shipping uh, infrastructure there as well, right? Uh, yes. And um, other than gold, I think copper is also a very popular uh, commodity that the Chinese are looking at. While um, South America, uh, particularly Chile, is a hot destination for copper, and we have seen some Japanese companies have been increasing their stake in copper mines in the last few years. However, we also saw that um, social unrest has also been increasing in South American countries as well as um, uh, other African countries. So um, I think some Chinese companies will trying to look for projects in some safe jurisdictions like Canada or Australia. Yeah, and I, I wanted to ask you about Australia. I was just kind of curious if uh, Chinese companies are, have gone heavy into Australia given that there's such a premium there on the gold price because it's been, you know, in Australian dollars, it's been high, you know, <laughs> all-time highs for several months, it seems like. Yes, um, I think 
it's less about um, the gold dollar, uh, the, uh, the gold price in the local currency, but more about the time zone. Okay. Because, um, yeah, because it's more convenient for the Chinese too, for example, make a, an acquisition in Australia because the time zone is more similar uh, compared to Canada. Like if they work at projects in Canada, then basically maybe they have to work like maybe close to 20 hours per day or they have to work at night and then sleep in the daytime in China. Um, but obviously there are still people working in, Chinese people working in Canada right now, for example, um, Canada, uh, China, uh, China Go International, they are dual listing both in Canada and Hong Kong. So obviously there are also like for the Chinese companies, they are also very quite familiar with the Canadian projects. Yeah, uh, Samson, do, do the Chinese company have companies have uh, maybe are they more risk adverse to say jurisdictional risk? I mean, I know there's a lot of activity Chinese activity in Africa. Uh, a lot of investors shy away from African nations and African projects. Um, do you feel like Chinese mining companies are maybe more risk adverse when it comes to jurisdiction? Uh, no, I think they are less risk reverse. Um, but it also depends on which country or whether if there are other Chinese companies already working in that jurisdiction. So, for example, like um, maybe it's kind of a, a common sense that um, we all say, oh, um, the Chinese are not afraid getting into Africa. However, um, the, like there are some African countries that there are very, very few Chinese presence. Um, we all know that most of the Chinese are eager getting into DRC. Um, and some, uh, and, uh, and other like uh, maybe Ghana as well, uh, as well as uh, maybe Zambia uh, as well, which already many Chinese companies have been working in these African countries. Um, however, other African countries, for example, like um, Burkina Faso, uh, Mali, uh, because there were not much Chinese uh, working in these countries, so like people are less eager getting in into working in these countries. Like in one simple sentence, they are less um, eager to become the first. Like any company, are less eager to become the first one um, to be the one getting into one particular country because they are afraid of risks. Uh, so if they know there are other Chinese presence already working in one particular country, they have, they feel more comfortable getting into it. So that this is one of the major reasons why DRC has been quite popular in the Chinese mining co uh, community in the last two years or so. Okay, Samson, this has been uh, just a wonderful conversation, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time um, out of your day and actually the time there in China and everything you and your uh, uh, your fellow friends and uh, colleagues are uh, experiencing right now so I, I'm glad to hear that you are uh, safe and uh, it sounds very healthy <laughs> other than a little bit of a flu just a regular flu and cold uh, but I appreciate your time and uh, just before I leave uh, if people are interested in, in finding you and reaching out to you with questions uh, how might they do so? Um, they can always uh, 
try to connect with me through uh, Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is samsonly7, S-A-M-S-O-N-L-I-7. So please uh, connect it with me on Twitter and I'll be glad to exchange ideas uh, through Twitter. Okay, Samson. Uh, thanks so much. I look forward to having you back on Mining Stock Daily again, uh, hopefully later this year. And uh, best of luck and be safe, my friend. Thank you very much, Trevor.